Luke chapter 4, verse from 14 to 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me to, the, to meet this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the word of God. Thank you, Demon, for reading God's word for us. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Could you imagine that? That Jesus himself would preach at the Nieuwe Kerk in Delft and that it would end up like this. They were all filled with wrath, very angry, and they tried to kill him. Could you think of that? They were done with his preaching in Nazareth and they were done with Jesus. They thought he should never preach again in Nazareth. He even should never preach again anywhere. So they decided to kill him, what didn't happen. 
Have you ever struggled with going to church again or joining online to hear yet another Bible reading, hear yet another sermon? You already heard quite a lot of sermons. So sometimes you long for it, but sometimes maybe, well, you think, if you see, oh, it's that preacher again. Don't know what to expect. Yeah, sometimes you may hesitate whether to join again. You might think I should change church, that I may hear better preaching. Or you might even think, I... I've heard enough of preaching for some time. I wait until I am in the mood again to hear more preaching. Now, you may not be the only one struggling at times with that. We just read a passage from the first volume that Dr. Luke wrote for Theophilus. Certain learned man, probably, possibly he lived in Rome. He was new to the Christian faith, and initially, when he heard great preaching, perhaps, perhaps he heard Paul preach, wow, struck his heart, or perhaps he heard Luke preach, wow, great preaching. But afterwards, should he really continue to weekly join his church, weekly hear the Bible reading, weekly hear the preaching, perhaps Theophilus had heard great orators in Rome, but when he heard the preaching in his church, perhaps he struggled with that poor preaching. Perhaps sometimes he wondered, should I continue to hear this ever again? Now, Dr. Luke is a good doctor. He knows our struggles. He knows how we waver, and he wrote a powerful gospel that is a medicine for our troubles. And first, let us be clear, preaching in general always needs improvement. Yeah? The preaching of the Word of God, the message of God, the Gospel of God, it can hardly ever be good enough, can it? So preachers, come on and improve your skills. I say this to myself. I think we all know how the preachers could improve. But today we will pay attention to our ears, to our hearing. First, a small detail in our Bible reading. Have you, have you heard that? That Jesus went to the synagogue as was his custom. Did you hear that? How was it for Jesus to go weekly to the synagogue? On the one hand, I, I'm convinced he loved it. Why? Well, Jesus, the Son of God, had been sent into this world where he would not see his Father. We live in a world where you cannot see God. You can see his hand, his power, but you can't see God in this world. But in this world, you can hear God. God is a speaking God. Through his word, when the Bible is read, This is not just the opinion of Dr. Luke or the opinion of Isaiah. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through the lips of the one who reads the Bible. So in this world you can't see God, but you can hear his voice 
So Jesus made it his custom to go to the synagogue to hear the Bible reading and to hear the preaching. How would Jesus have felt about all the preaching he heard every week? Today, the sermon is about our hearing. And whatever you can think about all the preaching you have ever heard, those people in Nazareth on that Sabbath day, could they complain about the preacher and the preaching? When it was the Son of God himself, the Messiah, the Word of God, who would speak to them. What a privilege. Then how could it end up like this? that they were filled with wrath, that they would decide this man should never preach here again. Let's kill him. Could you imagine that over here? That it would be Jesus preaching to you and that you wouldn't like it, that you would not be impressed, but would be offended and irritated. In the history of the church, and still, all across the world, God sometimes gives extraordinary, extraordinary preachers filled with the Holy Spirit. Think of a Jonathan Edwards in the U.S. Think of George Whitefield, the Wesley Brothers. Think of Spurgeon. Preachers where they came, thousands of people would gather together. When they just came up, when they just opened their mouth, people would begin to cry and to weep and, and feel the presence of God. It was this adoration for the preacher, perhaps sometimes a bit as well, but no, it was the presence of God, people feeling that. Would you like to hear such a preacher? I think we all would. But could you imagine that such preaching would come to you and that you would be offended? That you wouldn't be impressed at all, but that you would go home and say, what an arrogant preacher. I, I won't ever go again if this preacher comes back. Could this happen? Our Bible reading tells us that it happened in Nazareth, and probably it's told to us to tell us that it could happen to us as well. So let's learn what's going on here, what happened there, and what should we learn? Let's see what this passage is all about. We can divide it into three parts. First part, verses 14 till 21, we see that Jesus does the Bible reading in the synagogue of Nazareth. It's Jesus himself doing the Bible reading. And then he gives a sermon. This is some information for you. When the Bible reading was done, everyone would stand. And the Bible reader stands himself up as well. Why? Well, this is God speaking, so let's stand up. Then the one who had done the Bible reading would be seated. Not to say, well, the Bible reading is over, but the eyes of everyone would be on the one who had read the Bible, for he would give a sermon. He would explain and apply what had been read, seated. So what Jesus does afterwards is the sermon. So first passage, verses 14 to 21, Jesus gives the Bible reading and he gives a sermon. Perhaps this is the shortest sermon ever. It's just 
one sentence. Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, in your ears. That's the sermon. Amen. Then the second part, the people ask a question and Jesus answers this question with a a bit longer sermon, verses 22 till 27. If you have your Bible, then you can follow this. So question and a bit longer sermon. And then finally, verses 28 till 30, we see the response of the people in Nazareth to the Bible reading and to the sermon. They are filled with wrath and want to kill Jesus. Now, let's see what what is happening here. So first, the Bible reading and the sermon. How should we understand this? So, So Jesus gets the scroll of the book of Isaiah and he looks up the passage we find in chapter 61 and he reads it. Why why does he choose this passage? What's going on here? Well, to understand this, perhaps I can compare this to uh, what's going on in the Netherlands at this moment. So what happened last Monday in the Netherlands? What was an important thing that happened last Monday? So last Monday, to refresh your mind, the king installed the new government. So the king said, you are my new ministers and secretaries, so um, you are the appointed ones to do the government coming years, uh, so let God give you wisdom and strength and, and, and do the job. That was what happened last Monday. Well, a similar thing we find in Luke 3, 20, verse 21, when Jesus was baptized, there came a voice from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. So, when Jesus was baptized, the voice of heaven, of the king of kings, of the sovereign God, says to Jesus, you are my son. Remember, for those of you who were there, Psalm 2, you are the appointed and anointed king and ruler. So, this is the installation of the king of the Messiah, as we saw the installation of the government last Monday. Now, next, what will happen upcoming Tuesday in the Netherlands? So, upcoming Tuesday, Mark Rutte will read um, the declaration of the government. He will read what uh, the plans are for the upcoming years. He will read what the government will do what they have been installed for. Now, if we look at our Bible passage, that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He has been appointed and anointed by God in the Old Testament. Uh, Prophets, priests, and kings were anointed for that task. Jesus was it all. He was prophet, priest, and king. So he has been appointed and anointed. And then he will read his declaration his plan of what he will do, he doesn't need to find his own words. It's all there in the scripture. He can just open up the scroll of Isaiah and read it. Isaiah 61, there there you find it all. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What are the plans? The plan is to proclaim good news. So I will preach. I will bring truth to this world. 
to those who are aware of their sad condition, the children of Adam, walking in the darkness. I will give sight to the blind. I will bring release. As Simeon had been singing when he held Jesus in his arm, now you let me go in freedom. This, says Jesus, this is all that I come for, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we have seen many sad times throughout history, all the consequences of the sin of Adam's children, even of Abram's children, the curse, the sad consequences of sin. But now the time of God's mercy has become, has come. Now the time of the Messiah, of the Redeemer has come. Now the time of God's favor has come. And here is the Messiah. That is, in fact, what Jesus' sermon says. So he has read the plan. And then he says, today, this moment, the scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. Which means you'll hear it, but at the same moment it happens. It has begun. Here I am, the Messiah, the Savior, the one you need. So that is first part. Jesus doing the Bible reading, giving the sermon. Now how do they respond on this Bible reading and sermon? On the one hand, they like it. They favor it. They say, well done, Jesus. So people in those days, they loved Isaiah. This was the most popular scroll of all Bible books. Well, well done, Jesus. Well read. We love such a short sermon, perhaps. Great. Yeah, so on the one hand, they, they like it, but then they come with a question. They ask, is this not the son of Joseph? Why do they ask that? They know he is the son of Joseph, don't they? Why should they ask this? Well, they know him, this preacher. They saw him when he was a child. They saw him work with his father, the carpenter. They have heard about when he was conceived. Joseph was not married, you remember? Was even Joseph his father? They know him. They have seen him for so long. But now that they hear his sermon, they have a question. For what does he mean if he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me? Who is the me in, in, in this scripture? Who is the me when somebody says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me? Well, everybody knew that is the Messiah. Now Jesus says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. What does that imply? Does he, does he suggest that he... Is Messiah? Isn't this the son of Joseph? What does he think about himself? What does he suggest? So they have mixed feelings. On the one hand, yes, they want to favor Jesus. They know about his background, but yes, they, they can give him compliments. Well done, Jesus. So we give you compliments. If you favor us, we will favor you. So let's have a beautiful Sabbath day. But it seems that Jesus is not willing to do that. It seems that Jesus suggests that he is a very great one. Does he have great dreams about himself? By the way, do you remember the story about Joseph and his brothers telling about his dreams? 
And then his brothers, what does he suggest? That we should bow for him? That we should look up to him? So Jesus decides to answer their question. Is this not the son of Joseph? Well, let me make it a bit more clear. And then he goes on with a bit longer sermon in verses 22 to 27. Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. So he indeed thinks of himself as a great physician and of us not as the good ones coming to, sab- to, 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 to the synagogue every Sabbath, keeping the law. He doesn't think of us as, as the ones whose favor he needs. No, he thinks of us as people who have a disease and of himself as a doctor. They feel the anger grow. And then Jesus says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown prophet. There had not been prophets for ages. Does he suggest he really is a prophet? Does he suggest that, well, that they, that they don't favor him? Yeah, and then Jesus goes on about Elijah, Elisha, the greatest prophets of Israel ever. He says, well, what I am well, is just in line with even greater than Elijah, Elisha prophet, Messiah, and they feel the anger grow. What? Are we the ones in need? Is he the great one? And then it comes to a climax when he talks about this Gentile woman, this widow, and about Naaman, the Syrian who had leprosy. So he says, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the great prophet that Moses once promised. And my work will be for those you think of that they are completely outside. They are the insiders, your enemies, those Gentiles, women. It will turn out that I have come to help them and to exalt them, whereas you, yeah, you think of yourselves that you are the insiders, the one who can favor me, but you need my favor, you need my help, you need my forgiveness. You need the things I will do, so you should look up to me for my help. Well, this really breaks their hearts. So this explains about their response, verses 28 till 30. Their response, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were becoming very angry with Jesus. Again, can you imagine that that would happen greatest preacher ever preaching to you, for instance, in the Newark, a Delft, and then you decide, I'm done with this preacher. What an arrogance. What does he think he is? Anger. I would never want to hear this preaching again. That is what happened in Nazareth. So, They decide we will never hear this preaching again. They decide we should, so to say, cleanse our synagogue, cleanse our village, our nation from this man, that this preaching can never be heard again over here. The words that are used here remind us a bit of what 
is written about in the book of Leviticus when there is leprosy in your house. You should cleanse it. You should cast all the contaminated things outside away so that, that it doesn't come back. Now, what a remarkable response, isn't it? So, in the chapter before we heard about John the Baptist's preaching, when he told about the wrath of God upcoming over all iniquity, when he called those who heard him brood of vipers, he didn't even say sinners, he said, you are brood of vipers, of the, you are children of the serpent. Then they were not offended, they, 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 they were struck in the heart. Yes, it's true, they knew. They knew about the trouble God saw in their hearts. And they said, oh, what should we do, John? And then he said, repent, be baptized. Look for him who is to come, who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, the response on John the Baptist was a bit different from this, isn't it? And think of the second book that Dr. Luke wrote, the book of Acts, where Peter preaches you have been raging against the Messiah. You killed him. And the people ask in response to this preaching of Peter, what should we do? And then Peter answers, and then afterwards they are filled with the Holy Spirit. But what happens here is completely the opposite. They were not filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with wrath and with anger. And this response to Jesus' preaching does not stand alone. So we already saw it with Herod. Herod's response to the preaching of John the Baptist. So Herod thought, I am the king. I make the rules. John said, no, you don't make the rules. God makes the rules. You broke the rules of God. Herod was offended. He said, let's imprison that preacher. Now the people of Nazareth do not only want to imprison Jesus, they want to kill Jesus. And see what follows when Jesus manifests himself as the true promised prophet. They are filled with anger. Then when you read on in chapter 5, then Jesus manifests himself as the true priest, cleansing leprosy, forgiving sins, calling Levi the tax collector to be one of his patients, one of his disciples, apostles, including Levi, they get offended. They grumble. And finally, when Jesus manifests himself as the anointed king, chapter 6, who is even Lord over the Sabbath, who makes the commandments, we read in chapter 6, verse 11, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So, when Jesus' ministry began, yes, he was the anointed Messiah of God, but the response was not what you would expect when the Messiah would come. Wouldn't you? What had Isaiah told about when the servant of God would come? Isaiah 53, for instance. Have you read that? Have you observed that? Isaiah says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. That's how it went with the Messiah. That is what happens to Jesus here from the beginning of his ministry and it will come to its climax on the cross. The wrath of man his own people and of the nations 
coming on him. What does he think he is? Does he, does he think he is our king, our savior, physician? Heal yourself. But we know it didn't end there with the cross. Jesus rose. And it didn't end with the people of Nazareth trying to kill Jesus. No. Thank God it didn't end there. Why do we have to hear all this? Well, not just to tell some interesting history, of course. Why do we need to hear about this? Why did Theophilus need to hear about this? Well, we have come to church. We have heard a Bible reading. We long for some good preaching, don't we? But often we struggle with the preaching. Now, yes, let's agree, the preaching always can improve. Yes, certainly. But there is something going on in our own hearts. We'd rather look to the preacher, his performance, and the way he appears, and we want, would like to look at others, what they need, rather than that through the preaching, God, Jesus, speaks to us, reveals the truth that is within our hearts. So what was in the hearts of the people in Nazareth was also in the heart of Theophilus, and it is in our own heart. It is in our own heart that we don't want to look up to a Messiah, that we don't want to think of ourselves as the one in need, not the example, the teacher of the truth, the good one, in contrast to the bad ones in the world, but the lost ones, the broods of vipers. We don't want to, to hear that the Lord sees so much trouble in our lives, how we walked with him, how we obeyed him as his follower in our relationships, in our parenting, as a pastor. We, 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 we have something like, no, 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 I don't want to hear about that. But God says, you need to hear about that. This is in your heart and this need, needs cure. If this doesn't get cure, what about the day of God's wrath? When God comes to cleanse his world from all iniquity, all sin and sinners. So it's God's grace that this passage is in the Bible. It reveals what is in our hearts. Have you observed this? in your own heart. What should you do then with this? Well, you should see it, what God's prophetic word reveals, and you should turn to him, Jesus, the true high priest. He was suffering under God's wrath. He went out in darkness. He was bound. He was blindfolded to release you, to bring you God's favor. He came out into our dark, imprisoned world and was crucified to bring us in into God's world. He lost his position in order that we might get a position from brood of vipers to accepted and loved children of God. Have you come to see it? Then go to the Savior. It's the Savior calling you today. Come to me. Be aware of the disease. Even when you have become Christian, See what is going on in your heart and come to me for forgiveness, for renewal, for my spirit to be dealing with your, your anger against my word. 
So let's draw a few conclusions. How should we listen to God's word? Again, of course, the preaching can always be improved. There is always homework for the preachers. But is there always also homework for us who listen? Let me finally give you a few hints. First, let us stop to listen to preaching as if we listen to an orator performing. We can do that. We have heard great orators perhaps and we know, well, in this or that, the preaching could improve. But don't listen to the Bible reading and the preaching as to an orator. Listen to a messenger who brings a message and focus on that. So you can have a weird messenger, but if something is going on and if this messenger is there to make you learn more, then you will focus on, on the message that is brought. So when we listen to the Bible reading and when we listen to whatever preacher, focus on what is God telling to you. Not the performance, but the message. Second, don't be confused by the appearance of the one who brings you the message. So the people in Nazareth, they received the Messiah as their preacher, but the appearance of the Messiah was the carpenter's son, the one they knew as a child, the one with the strange background, with Joseph and Mary. Now God chooses to do this the same time after time again. So he uses someone you have heard so often. You're familiar with the voice of this person. He might do it with someone who has some language problems, who is from another culture. Are you able to receive them? Especially for us as an intercultural fellowship, this is so important, especially for the Dutch among us. So we as the Dutch, we can think, okay, let's give a sermon or let's do the music or the uh, treasure seekers. Okay, very good. Good that we want to use our gifts. But are we also able to receive from the others? So we want to give pastoral care but can the Iranian give pastoral care to you? Can the African do the children's ministry for you? Can the Chinese sing for you? Well, just important questions for us as an intercultural fellowship. Let's be humble and see how God comes to us in the other ones. Thirdly, we can look around us and think, well... This world around us, that is where the trouble is going on. So where are the people angry with God? We can think of all the unbelievers we see around. And we can think of ourselves as the peers ones, the ones living with God. But this story shows us it could be the opposite. God could be at work with those unbelievers you see around you. And this anger with God and his word could be in your own heart. They were filled with wrath when they heard these things. Thank you, God. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your revealing word, your diagnosing word. You are the doctor we need. You show what is in our hearts. O Lord, have mercy. Take away that old heart. Let it die with your Son, Jesus Christ. And 
give us a new heart and renew in us a new spirit that loves you, that is humble, and that receives your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lift up your hearts to God. Receive his blessing and go in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.